Good morning. Welcome to Randall Church. We're so glad to have you here with us this morning. My name is Milo, and I am the uh, church multiplication pastor here on staff. That also means that I am at Renewal Church as the uh, lead pastor there, the church plant there. Some of you may not realize that we have a church plant in North Tonawanda. I want to catch you up on that and report a few things back to you this morning, and then we're going to dig into uh, the story of Moses and how that connects into this series, Can You See Him? And Moses uh, is going to uh, cover a big portion of Scripture this morning, so get ready because we're about to move through a ton of Scripture. But first I want to tell you what's going on at at Renewal. We have about 65 people uh, coming each week, and so God has blessed us there. We just started our third round of DNA sessions, which is what we call our membership classes. And so we've got our third round of that. We've got 12 more people coming through that. And so we're continually adding to what God is doing in that way. Uh, We have four community groups that are rolling. Uh, We've uh, started uh, our first uh, single mom's oil change of the year. You also did one here. We started uh, about a week earlier than you did. And we did 21 vehicles this this, uh, first one. So there was, man, there was cars coming through one after another. We had four stations and they were basically full. Uh, we start at 9 o'clock, and we accidentally put out the word on some of our postcards and stuff. We, taught, we wanted our volunteers to be there at 8.30, and we accidentally wrote on there for uh, some of the single moms to come at 8.30. So, they were, man, they were there, they were ready, and we were not. And so uh, we had to kind of scurry around and get ready for that. Uh, but that was really neat to be able to serve in that way. Uh, I read a book recently called When Helping Hurts. And uh, we changed a little bit of how we deal with that single mom's oil change because instead of it being a hand out, we're trying to do a hand up, if, that, if you understand the difference there. And so those single moms, when they come in and they help, it's not only just them getting their oil changed, but we actually have now uh, incorporated that they are doing a sort of mission project themselves while they're waiting for their car to be fixed. We are giving them a project so that they are working on something that they feel part of the mission of the day rather than just, hey, they're getting a handout for the day. And we've actually seen a really good response uh, from that. And then uh, kind of on the outward side of what we're looking at, this summer is going to be a very busy time for both Randall and Renewal. We have, uh, last summer, uh, we built uh, bunk beds at Renewal in some of our back classrooms that haven't been used. And we housed people for 65 days straight, 24 hours a day. That building was humming with mission teams coming and going. That was last summer. Uh, We have seven mission teams coming in this summer. It will fill in most of that time as well. Uh, We'll be doing three mega sports camps this summer. We'll be part of block party week is what we're going to call it. And there will be block parties going on around the area and uh, the mission teams helping us do that. So a very busy season this summer. One of the things I want to highlight for you though is uh, Canal Fest in Tonawanda and North Tonawanda. If you haven't heard of it before, uh, our little area, our city of 42,000 people in our region brings in 250,000 people, just influx the area for one week there along the Erie Canal uh, during July. And we served last year, we had a team from Mississippi that helped us and they, they really did a good job of kind of getting the word out of, of hey, we just want to be here to, to show love to our community, to reawaken love, to make a bridge. I've heard the, the statement that um, good Good works is the bridge by which good news can travel. Good works is the bridge by which good news can travel. So sometimes you just have to get in there and and help people and and meet a practical need. And then in that, you'll be able to share the gospel later. So a quick story to tell you how that is going. Uh, This year, uh, not only have we been invited to come back, uh, but we have been invited to be part of the planning team for the city. They came to us and said, we're not sure that we could pull off 
uh, our event, our 250,000 people that are coming here, unless that church over there is involved in our city event. And so they invited us to be part of the planning committee. They uh, had a five-year waiting list so that you would have a tent to be able to sell your stuff or do whatever you want along there. And this year they've just given us one, and guess where they put it? Right next to their headquarters tent, right next to that spot. They gave us that prime real estate because we were volunteers. Uh, last year we didn't, we didn't do anything. We didn't, we didn't actually have a product that we were giving away. We didn't have flyers or anything like that. We were gophers. We had about 15 of us that were just going back and forth each night. And of these 250,000 people that come into the city, uh, most of them just come and they go and we never see them again. And so what we saw as our mission and our opportunity was to help those small business owners who are actually in the city the rest of the year. And so we were just gophers for them. At the beginning of the afternoon when they are setting up their tent and bringing their supplies from their cars, we were there carrying boxes and we're rolling things back and forth and having good conversations. And so if you walked around Canal Fest last summer, we had people in our t-shirts at the hot dog tent selling hot dogs with uh, the American Legion. And we had people uh, selling buttons from the the headquarters tent. And we had people involved in all of these different things in all these different areas. And for five, six days of just being able to rub shoulders with the business owners and the uh, different organizations in the community. And this year they've asked us to come back. So will you pray for us in that, that as we are just, yes, a volunteer force, that now uh, we've built that bridge and now there'll be opportunities for us with all those hours that we get to spend with our community leaders, that we will have opportunities now to share the gospel. We've found a way to get present with them. Now let's see if we can find a way to proclaim the gospel this summer. So there's some things for you to be praying for for us. Uh, A good reminder, though, is that still nine out of ten people in North Tonawanda do not care about our fancy schmancy new church. They could care less. They have no idea that we exist. They, they never notice the sign in the parking lot. They never notice that there's people coming and going. They have no idea. And the reality is that the gospel still needs to change that region. I give you all that kind of exciting thing, and I, I know I move quickly through it, uh, because the reality is, man, we are just getting started. Uh, it was two years ago, July the 4th weekend, two years ago, that we met for the first time in H&R Block as a small group of people who said, hey, uh, we would like to start this thing called Renewal Church. And so we are still in the infant stages of what God is going to do. Uh, maybe we're becoming a toddler. Maybe we can start to call ourselves toddlers and, and take a few baby steps this year to get additionally on our feet of what God is doing. So that's the report of what's happening with Renewal Church, and you are very much involved with that as Randall. And uh, thank you so much for your continued prayer. Uh, many of you come and visit and, and uh uh, spend a time of worship with us occasionally once a month or, or, or different times like that. We thank you so much for that. Uh, my baby sister, I'm six years older than her, uh, had her first baby uh, just a couple weeks ago. So I'm talking about an infant church. She, she's had this baby, and I don't know if you have uh, been around someone who's just had the baby for the first time. Uh, she's got a bazillion questions, and she's constantly texting my wife about uh, feeding the baby and how to take care of this. And I thought, uh, you know, changing a diaper would go this way, but I'm actually having trouble because, you know, I've only got two hands, and my hands are over here, and how do I do that? And do you really have to strap the baby down when you change? I don't understand if that's, like, necessity, if that's just a safety protocol. Like, how do all of these things work? But it always comes out when there's a new baby around. Some Someone just comes in, they, say, they look at that child and they go, oh man, she has your nose. Or she has your grandfather's eyes. Or 
of, of course, the different sides of the family. Your mom's side will say, oh, he has the exact same looks as your older brother. And then on the other side of the family, he says, it's identical, it's uncanny. He looks just like your sister when she was this age. They're like, well, these people do not look anything alike whatsoever. So somebody here is kind of twisting the truth or, or it's just kind of hard to tell. I've never understood. Uh, when I look at a baby, it looks like a baby and I kind of see the resemblance, but I never never quite make that strong of a connection to it. I do remember, though, the first time that I noticed uh, my daughter, Dalia, she's my oldest. I remember it was just one of those weird things. I was pumping gas, and she was this little uh, year and a half, maybe two-year-old, looking out the window back at me as I'm pumping gas. And something about the way the reflection of that window was, and I wasn't looking straight at her face, all of a sudden it snapped. I was like, I know her. Like, I know that that face before. You ever been in that moment like, oh, there's the connection. That's what she looks like. That's what I remember. I grew up in a small town of Delavan, New York. Uh, It's next to the metropolis called Arcade, if that helps you at all. Um, It's a very small town, and Jacob Wilson uh, settled there in 1780. So Jacob Wilson is a great, 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 great something, grandfather of mine, he settled there in 1780, just after the declaration was signed. He is in Sardinia, New York, which is three miles away from where I grew up all those years later. So we've been in the community for quite a while. And when people ask where I'm from, I basically have to say that's where I'm from. There's no no question about that. Uh, It's a small town, and so people, there's multiple generations, though. Uh, My dad, he used to come to my football or I didn't play football, he used to come to soccer games or come, come to sporting events, and he would just point to people, and he said, hey, is that, is that one of the Hoffman boys' sons? And I'm what? And, or the Georges, or uh, there was just these names of these families, and he just knew that that person resembled someone that he went to high school with, or he, he just, I thought that was the weirdest thing in the world. Like, why do you think that you know my friends, Dad? That's weird. And... Um, but the reality is now, if I drive back into town and I'm at Tops or something like that, I see someone that I went to school with, except that they're half the age of the person that I went to school with. And you realize, okay, generation after generation in this small town, you recognize them. You can see the resemblance. As I said, we're going to be talking about Moses today. And when you look at the face of Moses, when you look at his life, you're going to see a resemblance of someone that we know to be Jesus Christ. There's a resemblance. There's a foreshadowing there. When you look at Moses, you go, you know what? You look kind of, yeah, I think that's Jesus that's coming through there. So the word mosaic, the word mosaic has two meanings. The first meaning is this, of Moses or the laws attributed to him in the Bible. So if something is mosaic, it's, it's from the Mosaic Covenant or from Moses, from Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. But the second definition of mosaic, maybe you're more familiar with, is that art form where pieces that have been cut into triangular, square, other regu- irregular shapes, they fit closely together to make this art form that we know as the mosaic. It all kind of goes together. And now there's something kind of neat called the photo mosaic. You put all these pictures together and then you back away and you start to see something. I had a history teacher that was the first one of these I'd ever seen. And it was a picture of Abraham Lincoln. And it was just, if you got up close, it had all of these small black and white pictures of Abraham Lincoln. And then as you backed away, you see the big face of Abraham Lincoln. 
So when we look here and through this series of can you see him, that's what we're looking at here. Uh, Moses, the mosaic, is revealing the bigger picture, Jesus. So when Moses pens those five books, those Pentateuch, when he writes that all down, he's, he's taking a mosaic. He's taking the stories from those around him. He's writing it down, but he's taking all of these stories. He wasn't there during the creation, right? He wasn't there during Noah's flood, but he penned it all down. He wrote it all down. He puts it all together in a package, and as you look at it closely, you're going to see that it points forward to the Messiah. Jesus points forward to the Messiah. And because we can't cover five books this morning... Uh, Acts chapter 7 actually does a great job, so that's where we're going to start this morning. Acts chapter 7, Stephen, empowered by the Holy Spirit, encapsulates all that Moses did and how it connects to Jesus. It's not in your notes this morning, but verse 13 of chapter 6 says, And they set up fault witnesses and said, This man never speaks, ceases to speak words against the holy place and the law. And we have heard him say, This Jesus of Nazareth would destroy and change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So Stephen, they were attacking Stephen, this young deacon, this young leader in the church. They were attacking him and saying, he's trying to undermine all that Moses has ever taught us and led us through and talk about this Jesus of Nazareth. And Stephen, empowered through the Holy Spirit, says, okay, all right, I'll take your bait. I'll take the fight. You're trying to spin up these evil words against me. I'll take your bait. Let me explain to you how Jesus connects to the Messiah. So turn to chapter 7, Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 17, and I'm just going to read a number of verses here, and you're going to see basically the summary of Moses and how he connects to the gospel. Verse 17, but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. Remember, we talked about Joseph Last week, verse 19, he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house. When he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. 23, when he was 40 years old, I want you to remember that. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Verse 30, Now when forty years had passed, remember that, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame and a fire bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed by the sight, and he drew near to take a look. There came the voice of the Lord. I am God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place you are standing on is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, who have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses who they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both what? A ruler and a redeemer by the hand of angels, by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. 
This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt and the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. So those 40 years are pretty key there. There's three sections of 40 years. Now I read that's a big passage that we read there, but the reality is, is Stephen does a great job of encapsulating all that Moses covered in his lifetime in a very small amount of time. Stephen is laying out, this is Moses. Moses that you have set up on a, on a pedestal, but Moses is foreshadowing the coming Christ, Jesus the Messiah who we worship. D.L. Moody makes this statement. Moses spent 40 years in the king's palace, thinking that he was somebody. Then he lived 40 years in the wilderness, finding out that without God, he was nobody. Finally, he spent 40 more years discovering how a nobody with God can be a somebody. 40 years, 40 years, 40 years. He went from thinking he was somebody to finding out that he was nobody And then realizing that nobody can become somebody with God. It's a little bit of a tongue twister. But you see what's going on there? So first, we're going to dig in a little bit deeper to his first 40 years. 40 years of pampering Moses. 40 years of pampering Moses. Will you turn in your Bibles? Exodus chapter 2 now. Exodus chapter 2. Genesis, Exodus. Second book of the Bible. Second chapter. Genesis, Exodus chapter 2. This is where we see Moses being pampered. I'll explain that in a minute. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw a basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, that's Moses' sister, Shall I go and call for you and nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away, nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman, his mother, took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. All right, so let's take a deeper look here what happens to Moses being pampered here those 40 years. It starts out alongside of the river. And I think it's a little bit ironic that the problem here, the reason why Moses couldn't be kept quiet, the reason why was because he had a great set of lungs, right? He was screaming. He was making a big noise in the house, and, and his mother had to realize that he was going to get them in trouble. If he were, they were going to keep him alive, he was going to get them in trouble. So he has to be put in the river, in this basket. He floats down the river, and how is he found? Because he is screaming and crying in the basket. The irony is that later, one of his primary excuses of why God cannot use him is what? I'm too timid to speak out, Right? But the, whole, the only reason why he's even been pampered for these 40 years, the only reason why he is in this situation is because as a baby he was a loud mouth. And now he's going to try to make the excuse to God of, you know, God, I really don't like to speak publicly. Researchers have discovered an interesting inscription that Egyptian women would write along the walls there by the river. They would recite this inscription as they went down to the river, says this, I have afflicted no man, I have not made any man weep, I have not withheld milk from the mouth of suckling babies. This is what the Egyptian women would come down to the river, and it was inscribed on walls, they found it, archaeologists have found this inscribed on the walls. 
I'm giving that background because what's going on here is that Pharaoh's daughter is going down to the river because she is infertile. Pharaoh's daughter is unable to have children and she is praying to her gods to provide her a child. She goes to the river and what happens? A screaming, loud Moses comes traveling down the river in a basket. God was protecting Moses. His promise to the patriarch Abraham was that he was going to make many nations out of him. God was protecting Moses and using whatever means means necessary to make that happen. This child floats down the river. The woman sees it. This is what she has been hoping for, dreaming for, if you will. This baby floats down. She picks up the baby and says, this baby is going to be mine. God would make Moses the promised deliverer. (coughs) But first, he was going to allow him to be pampered in the Pharaoh's palace for 40 years. But then things change. Life changes. Now we're over in Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. He's going to take a 40-year shift, a 40-year adjustment of preparing Moses for what he's going to do. So he spent 40 years in the palace with Pharaoh's daughter as his mother and had all that the palace had to offer at his disposal. Verse 1. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now why is he in the wilderness? He's there as we learn in Acts chapter 7. He's there because he has murdered an Egyptian man who was going to do damage to the Hebrews. So he's murdered him and he has to flee for his life. And now he is out in the wilderness. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out in the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to him, he called out to the bush, of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. Moses is out in the field, and this bush is consumed with fire. Now, let's take a step away from our flannel graph Sunday school model of the fire that goes over top of the bush. This is something that was magnificent. It was huge. It was something that stopped him dead in his tracks, and he focused all of his attention on this light, a fireball from the sun almost, and he focuses all of his attention there standing. But it wasn't until we saw there in Acts chapter 7, it wasn't until uh, God starts to lay out the connection to Abraham and the patriarchs, the realization that this connected directly to him, that he turned his face away, fell to the ground, took his shoes off because this was holy ground. This was God himself interacting with the human race that he created through this person, Moses. God revealed his holiness and reminded Moses of his covenant with his forefathers. His response, he was afraid. He was afraid to look at God. He was afraid to do a number of things. In 1956, the movie The Ten Commandments came out. I'll ask, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Some of you remember, I was not alive in 1956. But Charleston Heston was going to be Moses, right? Charlton Heston, I said it wrong. He was like Mel Gibson or Russell Crowe of his time. He, man, he played this Moses character well. He was a good-looking guy with golden hair, a square jaw, and he would stand up in front of Pharaoh and say, let my people go. Do you realize the casting of this is a little bit messed up? 
This is not really the personification of what Moses was up to. The real Moses was about as far away from Charlton Heston as you could possibly get. He was terrified. He was scared. He was shaking in his boots. His knees were knocking together. Moses was terrified of what God had called him to. In Exodus 6, he's scared of where he has to go, and he asks God, why? Why have you put this on me? Why are you allowing Pharaoh to hurt your people? I've gone and I've talked to Pharaoh, and he's made it worse. He's made them make extra bricks. He's, he's putting more pressure on my people. Why did you pick me up to help, to help you hurt your people? Moses sees a discrepancy between what God has promised and what he's actually doing. He's saying, God, why would you do this? He presumed how and when God would fulfill his promise. Say, God, you have made this promise, and I've got a good idea of how this is going to play out. I, I don't understand why you're up to this. Verse 2 of chapter 6, God responds. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Moses, don't forget, I'm the one who set this thing up. I'm not going to forget my covenant with you. And the next thing that we see here in this passage, it could be a whole sermon in itself, are seven I wills of redemption. There's seven I wills of redemption. There are seven statements that God makes here to kind of put Moses in his place. Because the reality is, redemption is not about what you or I do. It's about what God does. Picking up in verse 6. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of, of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give you, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Seven statements that he makes. He says, Moses, step back for a second. Realize that I'm the one who made this covenant. I'm the one who made this promise with your forefather, Abraham. I am the one who's going to bring it to fruition. When God makes the promise, read the fine print. He is going to fulfill his promise. But he is going to do it in his time and in his way. When God makes a promise, read the fine print. So Moses had gone from 40 years of pampering in Pharaoh's palace to 40 years of preparing out in the wilderness, wandering around, leading sheep in circles here and there. But now God had given Moses' life clear direction and incredible purpose. Exodus 14, turn over. Beginning in verse 13. Moses is standing here now at the edge of the Red Sea. He's about to step forward. He says to the people, verse 13, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you will see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea. Divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. 
the Israelites have their back against the wall. They have their back against the great Red Sea. They have nowhere else to go. They have seen God move through the ten plagues. They have seen him move through this leader, Moses. But now they are afraid. When they look back, what do they see? They see the cloud of dust starting to stir as the Egyptian chariots are coming after them. Pharaoh is mad and he is coming to take them out. They're in trouble. They're pinned down. What are they going to do? There's a time to pray and there's a time to move. He tells Moses... It's time to move. The Lord is going to fight for you. It says that they crossed over during the night. In, in modern day, this is most likely the Gulf of Suez, the area of Bitter Lakes is where you can look it up. And there's like a natural explanation that many will take to say uh, you can actually go and if the wind is blowing in the correct direction, this could be uh, redone. Like they, they're actually able to replay how this could work out. If the wind is blowing at the correct direction, the water's pretty shallow, it could actually be blown out and happen again. And, and God could move and interact in that way to make that happen. But really the true miracle of what happened there of the cross in the Red Sea is not as much about the water peeling back it's that the Egyptian army was annihilated. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. The water peeling back, yes, God, he, he created the laws of nature, and so he can come back and interact with them however he chooses to do. But the fact that he was going to fight on their behalf to annihilate the Pharaoh and his army, the Egyptians, that was the miracle. That was the miracle. That is what cannot be recreated. That was what God was going to do and how he was going to act. Verse 27. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. Because they traveled through the evening. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of the host that Pharaoh had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed that the Lord, and it was in his servant, Moses. God had moved. God had now given Moses a purpose to drive him forward. But this story, this life of Moses, isn't actually about Moses. Do you see that? Can you see him? Moses, yes, he delivered the Israelites, but he is a foreshadowing of the one to come. Can you see him? In Moses' life, there's all these things. There's a picture of a ruler. He tried to kill Moses, uh, just as King Herod tried to kill Jesus. There's a picture of the one who had spent time in the wilderness before fulfilling his call to God. When we first see Jesus going to the ministry, where do we see him? We see him in the wilderness for 40 days before he fulfills his call. There's a picture who had, uh, of a man who had all the world, all the riches at his hand. That's the very thing that Satan tempts Jesus with. He says, I will give you all the world and all the riches of the world. Satan tempts Jesus with that. There's a man who had taken a role as a shepherd. We look at Jesus. He calls himself what? The good shepherd. Uh, there's a picture of one who served his people. For 40 years, Moses led his people through the wilderness just like he had led those sheep for 40 years previously. He led them around. They wandered around. But he had taken care of his people. He served them just as Jesus came not to be served but to serve. 
there is the picture of a prince who had become a pauper. Just as Jesus went from equality with God to a human form with no place uh, to lay his head. There's a picture of one who delivered Israel from slavery. When we look at Jesus, we see Jesus is the one who delivers us from the slavery of sin. There's the picture of the one who offered his life for his people. Just as Jesus offered his life as the salvation for all of you. Do you see it? Can you see the connection that Moses is, yes, the deliverer, but he is pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah? Can you see him? Can you see him? Moses looks a lot like Jesus. There's a family resemblance there. When you look into his eyes, you can see the family. When people look at you, when they look at your life, do they see the family resemblance? Do they see it? One of the things that Jesus said about himself is, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. But he also challenges his disciples. He says, you are the light of the world. As long as I am the light of the world, you need to be the light of the world as well. Do you see that? He says, I am the light of the world, but a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Your job, your responsibility is to be the shining light in the world that you live in. How much do you reflect his light? How much do you reflect his light? In just a moment, we're going to have a time of communion. And Ben and the band, you guys can make your way back up here. Nate. This week, there was a full moon. It's beautiful. The weather this week was gorgeous. It was beautiful, right? It's amazing. We still have to make up for the winter we went through. But it was a good week. But there was this full moon. Even one night there was the sun on one side and the moon on the other. Like you could see it all at the same time. When you have a full moon, you get an idea of how bright the sun really shines. Because the moon is not producing any of its own light. It's 186,000 miles per second. That light is traveling from the sun to the moon and then coming back here to the earth. It is reflecting the glory of the sun. Can people see the glory of Christ reflected in you? Have you responded when God has revealed his character to you? Moses fell flat before God. When God showed his character to him, he fell flat. How have you responded? When Moses had God's plans for his life revealed to him, how did he respond? He responded in fear. Have you been reluctant to do the things that he has called you to do? Have you been reluctant to step forward? You need to take those seven I will statements and realize it is not about what you can do. It is, is it about the redemptive power of Christ. I will, and then insert what he has called you to do because that is where he is. What's your attitude towards your weaknesses and fears? Moses gives five really bad just excuses of why he can't be used by God. He just go, man, he thinks he's going toe-to-toe with God. Every time God calls him to do something, he says, well, there's this thing like, oh, well, you know, I don't really like doing that, God. It's not really my thing. You know, I'm more into the insurance sales kind of, kind of thing. You know, like, I like the shepherd idea. And every excuse that he gives, God's response is, I will. I will move forward. Those weaknesses 
those inhibitors in his life. God had used that as a preparation ground for him being the deliverer for his people. That is what God had called him to do. As we look at the life of Jesus and how he was the deliverer of his people and how he can deliver you and I from sin and from death, that should reflect itself in how you live out your daily life. Can you see him? Is his life reflected in you? The glory of the sun reflects in the moon. Can the glory of Christ, God's son, be reflected in you this week? Can you see him? Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for this time, for your word, the way that it all interconnects. Lord, that we can read in Acts 7 of Stephen and how he makes the connections back to Moses years and years and years before. And as we come and as we look into your word today, it still connects with our hearts. We still have similar fears to Moses but you've called us, Lord. You've spoken into our weaknesses as a preparing ground for what you have given us each a purpose to do. Lord, there's some here this morning that uh, as, as Moses met you at the, at the burning bush, maybe this morning they're meeting you for the first time. Let the realization of the almighty power of God overwhelm in the same way. Use your word this morning to cut, to pierce hearts today, sharper than any two-edged sword. Lord, let your word drive in deep today. And for those bold enough, willing enough to grab a hold, Lord, let them lead in a way they've never seen before. Let them respond to the calling on their life, the purpose that you have for them, that, that nudging, that prompting of the Holy Spirit that's been there year after year, week after week, but they have not taken a step out because they forget that it's you. And just as your son walked the earth in human form, Lord, all that he did was through the power of the Father when he interacted with his son. And Lord, we pray that you would interact with us in a similar way. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.